So the, the, the vision statement of crew, for those of you who don't know, most people think of crew, they think of campus crusade for Christ, they think of a big campus ministry, and you're absolutely correct. That is absolutely what crew does. Um, they are one of the largest mission organizations in the world. They're in over 170 different countries. They have over 40 different nonprofits that are underneath their headships. They work in a wide variety of, of ways, but the biggest one is definitely on college campuses and high school campuses. Um, part of our journey was very simple. We had a desire to work with students 52 weeks out of the year and disciple them to start gospel-centered movements. And when we started interfacing with crew, realizing that, oh my goodness, they had an identified need that the church was longing for in Portland, Oregon to have met, to have the churches rally and, and, and walk onto, onto their high school campuses and see them as the mission field that they are. And they said, we need somebody who will help catalyze that, who will help do that. And Aaron and I just had this longing, this desire, and we followed that. God opened up all the doors. It was amazing. And we found ourselves a couple of years ago, yes, in the middle of a pandemic, saying, all right, God, here we are. How do you want to use us here in Portland? Thinking it would be a very slow burn, that it would take a long time. And the reality is, okay, so you guys were really open here in Florida, just to give you a feel for a non-student's or teachers were not allowed on campuses on high school. So no parents. If you had a kid going there, you were not allowed to go to the high school campus until April of 2022. Okay? Just to give you a feel, that's what it was like in Portland. Very different atmosphere there. And yet, God was on the move. God was amazing. He dropped us in with a couple of different groups of students we couldn't go to their high schools physically, but what did we do? We met with them at coffee shops. We did the Starbucks thing. And we began to meet youth pastors and, and head pastors and began to see the church coming together. And oh my goodness, God was on the move. You know, when you think of Portland, it is, the le- it is one of the least um, churched urban cores in America. Okay, that is not a lie. That is the way it is. There are not a whole bunch of these in the urban core of Portland. And yet, and yet, God is on the move. We are seeing him do incredible things, things that as a native Portlander, I never thought I would see in my lifetime. We are seeing people come to Christ. We are seeing people start movements on their campuses, both collegiate and high school, okay? So I could sit here and blather all day about that, but that's what we were sent to do. And we are getting to just delightfully enjoy being a part of God's kingdom there And ergo, you as S-Cross One Coast, you are participating with us in the Partners for the Gospel, okay? So the vision statement of Christ with this movement's everywhere so that everyone might know someone who truly follows Jesus. I like that statement. Does it resonate with you? Movement's everywhere so that everyone knows someone who truly follows Jesus. In 1 John 3.16, that says this, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for others. I love the way that verse encapsulates the idea of partnering in the gospel together to let others see and experience God in and through us. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that we can come before you and that we can listen to you. And that, Lord, your word is true, it is thoughtful, and it moves us.
But Father, I want to ask that this morning as we open up your word, um, that it would penetrate our hearts and our minds, that it would provoke us to action, Lord. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come, move amongst us, start the revival in our hearts that is necessary for an awakening to take place in our country and in our culture. Come, Holy Spirit, come. We pray in your name. Amen. The love chapter. When I say, what's the love chapter? What, what comes to mind? Go ahead, say it. 1 Corinthians 13, right? Okay. And yet... Remember this, any, any preacher, anytime he asks a question, he's like General Akbaring you. He's like, it's a trap. Don't do it, okay? Don't fall for it, okay? That was a Star Wars reference. Does nobody get, anyways. All right, again, youth guide. But here's the deal. When you actually start examining scripture, I would respectfully say that 1 John chapter four, no, that's the love chapter. Now, 1 Corinthians 13 is a beautiful exposition on the love of God. It's great. It's wonderful. But when you look at something like 1 John 4, wow, 27 times, 27 times by my count anyways, it says the word love, loves, or loved in it in these 14 verses that Pastor Jeremiah read for us today. 27 times. John has a lot to say about the love of God in this. Now, one other thing as we head in this, I want you also to pay attention to the word abides. Abides. Because just as the passage is a beautiful exposition on the love of God, really just concerning the love of God, it also, abides serves as almost like the glue that binds everything together in the entire chapter. It connects it all, okay? So look for those two things. And what you're going to see as you're going through this, I do this naturally when I read scripture. I'm always looking, I'm going to invite you to do this morning with me. I'm always looking, so what is God's story? What is God's narrative? What is, what is it about God that we are learning here? And how does that contrast with, honestly, with what the world says on the same topic? Okay? So look for those two things. I'm going, to, I'm going to try to unpackage that as we go through, but I would invite you, you're probably going to find even more than I spotted as I went through. I fully expect you to. So I want you to look at that. Look for God's story and look for the world's story. Which, which one is better? Which one, though, are we actually buying into? Where are we leaning? Okay? And how does that play itself out in our lives? Okay? All right. So first one, God is love. Let's look at verses seven and eight real quick. These should be really familiar. If you took Awanas or anything, you're probably very familiar with this, right? First John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. What's God's narrative here? God is love. A simple statement of truth. If you read the commentaries and different things like that, you'll, you'll find really quickly that almost the <laughs> vast majority of the, the theologians and out there all agree that, that love is not just like, you know, kind of 
fundamental. It's almost like the dominant feature of the nature of God. To say that God is love almost encompasses like everything else about him. It's the top of the pyramid, so to speak, in many respects. God is love. It's the essence of his character. It's who he is. That belief, that confession is so important. Here's why. In our culture, we like to say that love is God. That's a problem. That's a really big problem. Why is that? Because when we buy into that narrative, when we believe that love is God, suddenly a lot of things become fluid that God never intended to be fluid. Truth begins to become very mushy. Because you see, when you love something, when love is God, and you begin to love something, guess what that means? That means you have to control it. You must have it. And you will pursue it because that is love. Why? Because love is God and I must have that. Whereas when God is love, the opposite actually begins to take place. Do you see what I'm saying? In other words, instead of trying to possess something, you let go of everything. Instead of trying to control everything, you actually are surrendering everything. Now, again, being a youth guy, I like to give little visual ways for us to hold on to ideas like that. Let me give you a, a quick earmark, really fast. Run through Idols, I-D-O-L-S, idols. Maybe you've heard this one before. I don't know. It's certainly not my own or original to me. But you see, when love is God, you've made an idol out of love instead of worshiping God. So I love to spend some time in my prayer life. You, the Lord's Prayer, Right? You know, we're supposed to confess our transgressions to the Lord. We're asking to forgive us of our transgressions, even as we forgive those to him. I love to take a time and do some mental inventory and say, God, okay, so what am I holding on to? What am I making an idol of that's in front of you? Here's a simple one, I. I stands for, if you're a note taker, you're going to like this. I stands for items. What sort of items do you have in your life that take a higher priority than your belief in God? pretty easy to figure those things out. Where do you spend your time? How much time do you spend with these items? You know, in my world, it's things like I'll look at those students and I'll be like, hey, how much time did you spend on your, on your PlayStation this week, you know? How much time were you, were you gaming? How much time did you dedicate to your sports team? How much time did you dedicate to all of these different activities? And let me ask you, so where's God in all of this? Items, that's the first one in idols. On down the list, the D, duties. What sort of duties come in front of or you prioritize in front of God? That's a tough one to analyze, but it's a huge one in us. I love sports. I grew up playing soccer. My team went to the quarterfinals, got all the way to the quarterfinals in the state tournament year. That was an exciting year. But something my dad always said, hey, listen, we have a duty. We feel like this perceived obligation to... Uh, 
to this sport and to this activity, and it's healthy and it's good for you, but we'll never put that in front of our relationship with God. And the way that played it out was my father was really reticent to let me play on Sundays. He didn't want the perception, and he didn't want me to grow with the perception that sports came in front of gathering with the body of believers to worship God on a Sunday morning. That came in conflict some days. What are the duties? What are the obligations? What are the things in your life that usurp prioritizing God? I-D-O, others. It's probably the biggest one for most of us. Others. What are the people that we worship instead of God? What are the relationships that we put in front of Jesus? He died for us. Remember that? Now, others are really important. They play a huge role in the kingdom of God because it is, it's Jesus first, and then we serve others, and we walk on through this, right? But, but we don't put others in front of worshiping God. Longings. Going back to that 10th commandment, what are the longings that get in the way that cause us to shift and say, oh, I long for this more than I long for God? Sufferings. This is a big one that confronts our current generation. Sufferings. We live in a victimization culture, yes? Familiar with that phrase, maybe? We live in an entitlement culture. Half my battle when I talk and disciple and work with teens, huge chunk of the battle is getting them to just look past what is owed you and into what did Jesus do for you. Do you see the difference now? I know this is a, a lot of time at the front end of the sermon on this, but when God is love, everything changes. Why? Because we begin to die to ourselves. Look at verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. See, when we believe that God is love, the invitation then is to live in light of that. We begin to live through this God that we believe in, okay? And the narrative is that God sent his self-sacrificing son to live a self-sacrificing lifestyle, to literally die for the people that he loved. Instead of exerting his power over the Roman Empire and the evils of his day, instead, he willingly stayed on the cross and let them kill him. Think back to Moses. What did he do? when he found himself in a position of power. He tried to exert himself. He killed the Egyptian to try to say, no, this is, this is the way it's supposed to be done. I'm going to exert my authority over you. Did that work out well for Moses? No, he got grounded for 40 years in the desert. But not Jesus. Jesus stayed on the cross. And instead of exerting his power over the people that were crucifying him, he willingly laid down his life. Even to, the, even to the point, I mean, just think about it. The words, it is finished. Think about that. 
This is Jesus literally extending forgiveness to the very people that were, that were crucifying him. This is love. That he sent his son so that we might live through him. Verse 10 in this is love. He's doing this again. He's repeating. Let me, let me help you understand this anymore. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I love it when translators give us a word that we have to be like, huh? See that word up there? Propitiation, right? Show of hands. How many of you used that word this past week? Just quick, quick. Okay. That thoughts. So when translators do this to us, I, I'm, you know, my default, I'm an easy going guy, hey, let's find a different translation, okay? So I went to the NLT, all right? Is that okay? Am I allowed to read from something other than ESV here? I don't know. Maybe I'm not going to get invited back, but that's okay. We'll, we'll risk it here. In the NLT, it says this, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. All right, that's a little bit more insightful, sacrifice. Let me ask all of you. How many of you in last week used the word sacrifice in any context outside of a Bible study? Quick show of hands. Okay, one. Good job. Awesome. All right. The sacrifice, the beauty of that is that, that's kind of a Christianese word, isn't it? You know? It's kind of one of those, we use it in context and we all know what it means. But what does it really mean? Here, I'm going to do an exercise with you, okay? This is, this is audience participation. Take your right hand, put it up in the air. Okay. Now take your thumb, do this, so you have the four. Now I want you to take all your fingers and do this. All right, you ready? Here we go. I'm going to teach you what sacrifice means. Jesus died for you. Say it with me. Jesus died for you. One more time. Jesus died for you. That's what he's talking about when he says propitiation, when he says sacrifice, right? So what are you going to do this week? When you see a brother stumbling or struggling, you're going to look at him, you're going to go like this. Right? Okay. I give you permission to do that. Anyways. Um, <laughs> but do you see what's going on here? This is real love. This is real love. This is what it means to live in Christ. So we believe that God is love in response we live like Christ lived. That's going to get us all a little, little bit of jelly in the tummy right now. Because everything we've been talking about is self-sacrifice. It's putting yourself on the altar, not trying to hold on to things. It's holding very loosely to things. It's giving us tools to say, what are the things that actually tend to possess us when I begin to try and control them? And suddenly we have a big problem. So let's look at verse 11. Beloved, that's you and me. That's the church. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So when we believe in him and we begin to live like him, here's the thing. We actually begin to become like him. This means that we begin to die to ourselves. We quit putting other things in front of Jesus, and instead we, we sacrifice and we lay it down before him. We die. 
I love what Paul says in Romans 6 on this very subject. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or do you not know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might live a new life. The invitation to die is so that we may actually finally live. And that's what John is talking about here. God loved us. In return, we love others. Jesus died for us. In response, we die so that others might live. I'd love to be here in Florida with you year-round. The weather's great. I don't know if you guys figured that out. When I left, man, it was 40 degrees and raining in Portland. But that's where God's told us to go. That's where he's led us to go. Where has God led you? How are you going to die to yourself this week? I'm getting ahead to my conclusion. I need to stop that. But anyways, you catch what's going on here? The invitation is to die to yourself, is to say, what, is it, what does it mean to actually live in Christ? And here's a newsflash, that's probably always going to involve others. and probably sacrificing for them, putting others first. We begin to become like Jesus. 1 John 2, 9, earlier in the book, It says, anyone, whoever claims to live in him, must walk as Jesus did. Self-sacrificing, humility-laced love. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. Wow. I remember when I first really started digging into 1 John, when I ran across that verse, I had to put like kind of a a screech on. I'm like, what do you mean? Nobody sees God? How do we ever experience him? John's raising kind of a rhetorical question, which he's going to hit as we go through here. But I want you to get this. How are people really going to know God if they can't see him? Well, they're going to experience him, but they're going to experience him through you and through me, through those who are the children of God. Let me take a pause and share with you just a story from ministry where I've really seen and experienced this idea of, of, of watching somebody see God through someone else. Um, in September of, of 2021, we were just starting things, just, I mean, the pandemic's going, we can't get on schools, anything like that. But, um, but we wind up at this youth rally of sorts I'm not sure how legal it was in Portland at the time, but it happened anyways. And, um, and we got reached out to by this group of students from our high school that they're like, we want to start a Bible club on our campus. Can you show us how to do that? So we, we met with them in a Starbucks and we spent some time with them and we said, great, you want to start a Bible club? So where's your Bibles? And they're like, well, none of us actually own a Bible. And we were like, 
and you want to start a Bible club. Interesting. Okay, so we spend time with these students, and it does not take long to figure out none of them are believers. In fact, none of them are even really churched. They just got picked up by the church van and brought to this youth rally we were at, okay? I was like, how 1970s of them is this, you know? But here we are, we're sitting with these kids and we're like, huh? And then one of the kids, he leans in. He's like, so, hey, I got a question for you. Uh, yeah, since you're, you're a Christian, right? Yeah, I'm a Christian. He's like, I'm curious. Um, he's like, I'm, I'm gay. I like guys. And I hear Christians don't like people like me. Is that gonna be a problem? Talk about putting it out there. My goodness. And I lean in with him and I look and I say, hey, here, here's the deal. Um, his name is Robbie. I don't think he'll mind me sharing his name. I said, Robbie, um, I, I have desires and you have desires. And the question is, when we come to believe in Jesus, is what are we going to do with those desires? And I said, I think if we get to know each other, you, you might be really surprised at what Jesus does. So let's not get too hung up on some of the sin in our lives. Let's focus a, maybe a little bit more on who it is that actually wants to take care of that sin. Let's get to know him a little bit. Robbie kind of looked at me and was like, hmm, all right, carry on. We begin to meet with Robbie and his group. The entire group, I'm not kidding you, all of them are LGBTQ-like community. These are the misfits, though. They're the oddest kids. It didn't take long to quickly figure out that these are the ones that are not sitting with the popular kids at the lunch tables, okay? And we just spent time with them. We spent time with them. We spent time with them. And they, they kept coming back. I was like, wow, we haven't chased them off yet. So we find the gospel and we share the gospel with them. My wife likes to jokingly say, I think we shared the gospel every single way we could think of and then some. And every week, Back at the Starbucks, back at the Starbucks. Local church across from the high school finds out we're meeting. Hey, you want to meet in our church? We meet in their churches now. Moving to the church, five, six kids for a whole year. A whole year. Fast forward now to September of 2022. Same youth rally. Robbie's sitting there. You know, I've spent a lot of time with Robbie over the last year. And I watch Robbie raise his hand in response to the gospel. And I watched Robbie pray to receive Christ. Just a few weeks ago, I got to see Robbie get baptized in his local church. You know, I'd love to tell you that you can, you know, just walk up to somebody, share the four spiritual laws, and have them come to Jesus, okay? That'd be great. <laughs> That's not always how it works, is it? It's loving someone. It's being in relationship with them. It's dying to self. Not every single week did I want to go meet with Robbie and his friends at Starbucks. I'll be honest with you. There were some long weeks in there. There was some discouragement in there. But just weekly, dying to self, putting ourselves out there, just saying, all right, God, what do you want to do? As frustrating as this may be, what do you want to do? And watching God do that. Now, here's the thing. Keep praying for his friends. Robbie's friends still need Jesus, and we're still getting to know them. But here's the neat thing. You know what Robbie did? He introduced me to his mom. We got to have pizza with her the other day. We sat in a local restaurant. Robbie's mom hasn't been in a church for 10 years. She's got a lot of baggage, a lot of hurt. But I got to meet Robbie's mom. Robbie's mom showed up at the baptism. She at least walked into a church. That's a step, right? Okay. 
And this is the way God's love is working its way out in and through me, in and through our ministry there. I'd love to stand up here and tell you 100 people came to Christ over the last year, but I can't tell you that. I'd be lying, okay? But what I can tell you is that Cross Point Coast, Robbie believes in Jesus now today in no small part because of what he's doing in and through you here in Florida. And yes, we'd love to be here. The weather is so much nicer, okay? But we're serving the Lord where he has led us. Where are you serving the Lord? Where has he led you? Okay? Where has he led you? Now, here's what I want to do. I absolutely love the words of Scripture. I want to take the rest of the passage that we have here, and I'm not going to do a whole bunch of exposition. Instead, what I want to do is I just want to read it to you. And I just want to let the Bible read you for a little bit. So if you would, I want you to just, I invite you to get, put yourself in a place, if it, if it helps you to close your eyes, um, if it helps you to look at Scripture, both, whatever. But I just want you to take a moment, quiet yourself before the Lord, and I want you to just listen to the words. I'm not going to add much, but I want you to just listen to the words of the rest of this chapter because the rest of this begins to help us understand even better how people see God. Abide in love, verse 13. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in us. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Let me just pause for a second here. Just understand this. The way of the cross, it is not an easy one, but it is a very direct one. Yes, it's full of humility-laced love. So how do people who are believing in him and living in him and becoming like him, how do people who are abiding in love, how do they allow others to see God? Well, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. I love the way the NLT translates that. It, it says perfect love drives out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. 
If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Remember verse 12? People can't see God? Well, here's the deal. People don't see God, but what they do see is God through us. They see and experience him through us. And my question to us today, corporately as a body, is do they? Do they see God through us? Only you can really answer that question. Do you truly reflect God's love to the world? Is God is love the predominant narrative in your life? Or is something else? You've probably heard me as I've gone through this passage emphasizing certain words, words like believe, live, become, and love. I want to put that together in one statement for you. If I was to summarize this passage, here's how I would do it. My feeble attempt at it. If you're a note taker, you might like this. I don't know. It's simply this. When we believe in him, we live like him. And when we live like him, we become like him. And when we become like him, we love like him. And when we love like him, people will see God. Put aside the guilt and the shame that often comes with this and replace it with true conviction and ask yourself, hey, am I a believer? Great, that's not a box to be checked. That's, that's, a, that's a statement of truth, of authenticity. It's a confession. But if you believe in him, let me ask you, are you living like him? Are we living like him? <laughs> and if we're living like him, how are we becoming like him? And if we're becoming like him, how are we loving like him? A lot of the times, we forget the fact that God put the tabernacle in the middle of the camp. That's important. Remember when, when, the, when the children of Israel were coming across the desert, coming towards the promised land, and God gave them the law, and he helped them understand everything, and he identified all the ways that you could possibly sin, and then some. And, and what does he do? He does not take the tabernacle, the place where you go to confess your sin, to get cleansed of your sin. He doesn't put it outside of the camp. He puts it in the middle of it. He puts it as close to sin as he can get. Why? So that sinners could come to him. The invitation, then, is not to remove ourselves from the world, which, by the way, is our natural inclination. I don't know if you know this, but some of the Barna research stuff is crazy. Did you know the average person, when they come to Christ within seven years, have no identifiable non-Christian friends in their lives? That's a sad commentary. Within seven years. 
But God, on the other hand, he puts the tabernacle in the middle of the camp. He says, hey, I'm going to go live amongst the lost. Do you remember? Jesus ate with the tax collectors and the prostitutes. Jesus didn't have this perception that the lost, that's, that's them and this is us. Okay? What he does do is his love leaned into, and he put himself in the middle of that. And the invitation was, hey, lost, I want you to experience God's love. How are people ever going to experience God's love if they don't have a relationship with you? So here's two questions. If I was to send them out to your community group, here's what I would send out to your community group this week. Two questions. How does your belief in God lead to others seeing God? How does your belief in God lead to others seeing God? That's going to take a little bit of thought, okay? That's not just one you might be able to just answer like that. Maybe some of you need to journal that out a little bit. Maybe some of you need to set aside a half hour and pray about that. But ask yourself, how does your belief in God lead to others seeing God? Are there some idols that are getting in the way? Maybe there is some sin that really is messing you up. You need to confess, and you need to confess, and you need to confess again. Two, second question. Are you actively pursuing horizontal relationships with people who are vertically challenged? Okay? Do you know people in your life who don't have a relationship with God? If so... Are you pursuing a relationship with them with the intent of sharing the love of God with them? Saying, I want to be that person whom these people know who truly follows Jesus. So are you actively pursuing horizontal relationships with someone who's vertically challenged? And I want to invite you to do that. Lean into that. And yes, it's going to be messy. Yes, you're not going to do it right the first time. I've been following Jesus for 41 years. I still don't have it figured out. Please know that. But what I do know is I want to try and put myself in places where it's like, well, maybe someone can see Jesus. (laughs) Maybe someone can experience him. So perhaps, maybe, You might write down in your community groups this week three people in your life that might be some of those horizontal relationships that you're going to at least start praying for. Perhaps you might do that right now while we pray and say, God, give me three people that I can begin to just, just pray for. Just pray that they might come to know you. All right? When we believe in him, we live like him. When we live like him, we become like him. When we become like him, we will love like him. When we love like him, people will see God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to come and share. Thank you for the challenge and the way that you have provoked me over the years, the way you've convicted me in all the ways, Lord. Lord, I thank you that the only thing I bring to salvation is my sinfulness. I thank you that your Holy Spirit, nevertheless, 
has convicted me and has drawn me into relationship with you. Lord, I pray that if there is anyone here today that doesn't believe in you, that even today, Lord Jesus, that they would say, man, that God who has loved, that Jesus who died on the cross, I want his forgiveness. I want relationship with you. And so, Lord, I just pray in the, in the name of Jesus that there's anyone who does not yet have a relationship with you that is here this morning, that today would be the day that even right now in the quietness of their heart, they would initiate a relationship with you by simply saying, God, here I am, a sinner, please forgive me. Lord, I thank you. I pray now, Lord, that your word will go out and as you promised, not return void. I ask this all in your name. Amen.